You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You've got this tug of war going on between the government and the Bank of England. That doesn't lead to a stable situation. We must face up to the fact that for too long, our economy has not grown enough. I'm prepared to do what it takes to get us through these difficult times, to get us through this difficult winter, and to come out stronger as a country. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Dear oh dear, did you catch it? King Charles III meeting Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, for the weekly audience, you know, that is usual between the the monarch and, and the Prime Minister saying, Dear oh dear. Yeah, it did rather feel like he was summing up the mood of the nation, didn't it? I, I guess we'll never know if he was actually doing that or if perhaps that's just a sort of verbal tick but yeah it that was seem... the palace defense wasn't it <laughs> that this is just the manner of you know the king's speech but yes perhaps we won't know that it seemed a little bit unfortunate well coming up on today's program we're going to speak to former member of the bank of england policy committee uh, martin will he'll talk to us about the government's uh, fiscal plans those controversial fiscal plans and what uh, the chancellor can do when he uh, represents them on october the 31st and also we're going to bring you our interview with the chief economist from the royal institution of Charter surveyor Simon Rubinson uh, on the jitters in the housing market and how concerned he is around a potential downturn. But first, uh, Caroline, we were listening to PMQs on the uh, podcast yesterday. It does feel like Liz Truss's position uh, certainly hasn't strengthened since then. It feels like a lot of stuff has already happened, doesn't it, in just in those 24 hours? No, absolutely. The performance didn't seem particularly strong. Uh, the, the Prime Minister was uh, hit really repeatedly by uh, Labour's Keir Starmer on the turmoil in financial markets, on what that means for uh, voters for their mortgages, uh, but also for you know the tumbling value of sterling. OK, m- markets have stabilised a little bit today, but no, I think it was, wasn't a great performance. And now there is enormous pressure from within the Conservative Party to, to U-turn effectively on, on that mini budget. There was not at all mini. 
Yeah, and the 1922 meeting last night, I mean, reading some of the reports, really uh, quite stunning. Jerry Scott of the Times said that one Tory MP told her uh, it was the worst 1922 I've ever been to. With each tough question, she looked like she'd had the wind knocked out of her. 31st of October could finish her off on the basis of the reception she got from that room. Uh, Katie Balls and the Spectator said that MPs in the room uh, say that only two questions fell into the neutral category and the rest were openly hostile. So it sounds like a really, really tough meeting of Conservative backbenchers. Absolutely. Well, credibility in the future uh, of this government, I think, is, you know, is really still uh, in doubt. Um, And also, we were speaking to Martin Wheel, the Professor of Economics at King's Business School. He was saying that no one really thinks that the government's growth plans are credible want to bring you all of that interview now it was absolutely fascinating this is a former member of the bank of england monetary policy committee between 2010 and 2016 he was speaking to me and to bloomberg's lizzie burden earlier well i think probably we've had quite a lot of tears and i would guess in private from the chancellor and the prime minister no as well uh, certainly, I hadn't expected to see quite such a rapid market reaction, but it just shows what happens if you decide to take a new approach on the grounds that it's new and don't worry about uh, you know, orthodoxy, which is there for a reason. So you also mentioned when you were speaking to Bloomberg um, that there would probably be a clear run on the pound and then the bank will be forced to put up interest rates to stabilise the exchange rate. The run on the pound has happened. What about that uh, exchange rate and interest rate issue? Is that next? Well, we'll have to wait and see what the Monetary Policy Committee does in November. But uh, they will be concerned about the inflationary effects of the pound's weakness. Of course, it, I mean, it's moving up and down, I think, down recently. Uh, it hasn't fallen a lot since the last MPC meeting. But, of course, the MPC you know, looks at longer-term movements. And my guess is the longer-term movement will worry them. And that will be an argument for a tighter interest rate, a higher interest rate, than they would otherwise have chosen. Well, some strategists are seeing dollar parity by year-end. Do you agree with that? Well, I simply don't know. I mean, we got very close to it, what, three weeks ago or two weeks ago, and uh, sterling then recovered. I mean, my sense is that short-term movements in the foreign exchanges can be predicted by a lot of people, but not with any accuracy. Okay. does the Bank of England raise 100 basis points, another jumbo hike in November? Where do you see peak UK inflation? Well, um, we'll have to wait and see what the Bank of England's forecast is. They have a very good record in forecasting inflation in the short term, notwithstanding the problems that they've had over the last year. Uh, I could imagine there will be some people on the MPC arguing for an increase of No, 100 basis points, but uh, I suppose I think it's more likely that they would opt for a smaller increase. Of course, that depends in part what is in the government's fiscal statement at the end of October. And the timing of that is quite important because it's designed so that the MPC can set monetary policy in the light of knowing what fiscal policy actually is. And, of course, we're hearing all sorts of stories that the government may have to row back on its fiscal expansion. That would point to a lower interest rate than might otherwise be the case. 
Well, yes, we've got inflation figures coming out next week and also public finances data. Can you talk a bit about what inflation's doing to the government's fiscal firepower and how that feeds into the thinking for the budget statement? Are there feedback loops where inflation makes tax cuts and spending splurges more difficult? Well, it depends on the other effects of inflation. Inflation on its own tends to have a favourable effect on the public finances, at least if the government can limit its increase in spending and, of course, let the increase in wages that inflation that goes with inflation to bring in extra tax revenue. What, of course, we're also seeing, though, is that interest rates on government debt have risen very sharply, and that's hardly good news for the fiscal position. The government continues to blame global financial markets uh, for the meltdown that we've seen uh, in UK gilts. Does this damage the UK's credibility in the eyes of investors in a longer term and then result in higher premiums? Well, I think it probably is a factor resulting in higher premia that the government, at least in public, can't seem to understand the consequences of the fiscal statement that was made in late September. Uh, I mean, if you look at other countries, they haven't had the sort of sharp movements that we've had. And so, no, why should Britain be particularly exposed to global movements? No, much more so than no, our neighbours. And last night we heard from the Business Secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg. He was questioning the value of the forecast from the Office for Budget Responsibility and the International Monetary Fund. The suggestion really was that the government may ignore what those agencies are saying or use some other forecasts. What's the significance of attacks like that when they come from a cabinet minister? Well, I find them very strange. The whole point of the OBR is that it can produce forecasts to be released at the same time as the fiscal statement which show the effects of any fiscal changes. In other words, the OBR gets prior access to what's going to be in the budget statement so that it can produce an independent forecast of things like the path for government debt. Other forecasters can't do that. And uh, if Rees-Mogg is saying that after the fiscal statement, uh, we should just wait a bit to see what forecasters make of it after they've time had time to update their forecasts and so on. I really don't think markets or investors will be very impressed by that. I think it uh, just risks triggering a repeat of what we saw after the previous fiscal statement. Is there a greater concern, though, around competency uh, for this government? I mean, Kwasi Kwarteng has thrown the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, under a bus, as most people would see it with his comments uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, Also, you've got, you know, you've had the firing of Tom Scholar uh, on the first day of this new trust government. His replacement, James Bowler, has 20 years of experience at the Treasury, but his background is in budgets, not in financial markets. Do you think that the government is credible, that the Treasury has enough people with enough understanding of the markets in in terms of their top team? Well, I'd be very surprised if the Treasury didn't have an understanding of the risks of unfunded fiscal expansions. No, Tom Scholar, no, obviously he was leading the Treasury and his sacking created a very bad signal. It it was an additional reason for markets or investors being alarmed once the fiscal statement had been announced. But the Treasury in its top team does have 
other people who can see the basic arithmetic. And of course, they're talking to the OBR, which can see the basic arithmetic as well. I just want to come back to the Bank of England's emergency intervention. It's set to end tomorrow. Kwasi Kwarteng's obviously put huge pressure on Andrew Bailey to extend the programme. Does he need to do that to support pension funds? Well, no, I think the question is going to be what happens if pension funds have difficulty early next week? What might happen would be some sort of more targeted help. No, the Bank of England providing liquidity on an individual basis to the pension funds in difficulty, but at the same time at an adverse interest rate. No, because as uh, Andrew Bailey was saying, the pension funds have had until or have until Friday of this week to get the liquidity that they're going to require. Okay, so perhaps something a little subtler then. Well, what does all of that mean for Andrew Bailey's credibility? Is that a way of salvaging his credibility? You know, um, because the you know the idea of credibility also has consequences then for monetary policy further down the line for the Bank of England. Well, I mean, we must remember that uh, Lord King was very resistant to bank bailouts and. Uh, circumstances forced him to change his mind. Uh, I mean, I would imagine that Andrew Bailey has given some thought to the question of what help might be needed next week and in what circumstances. And uh, no, that could, as as I've suggested, that could probably be done without, no, continuing the scheme, the current scheme in operation. And there's also huge pressure on the Tories to U-turn, to reverse their tax plans, more of them. How much of the Trussonomics budget can actually survive if she is to restore any credibility in markets? Well, we'll have to wait and see what the OBR says. Uh, but uh, no, obviously, markets are very aware of the projections of the IFS and Citibank that uh, no, possibly a budgetary tightening of up to £60 billion is needed relative to no, where we were before the, no, before the September budget. Now, £43 billion, of course, comes in tax cuts, so you could recoup most of that by cancelling the tax cuts, which, of course, includes cancelling the reduction in national insurance contributions. Uh, but the only other way of squaring the circle is to make the assumption that economic growth is going to improve in Britain. And while Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng seem to believe that, I don't think anyone else is convinced that uh, they'll be able to come up with a package that would deliver that. Okay, but growing the UK economy is a good idea. Uh, If you're a capitalist, raising prosperity for all, do any of the government's admittedly thin plans deliver significant economic growth for Britain? Is, Is anything worthwhile, salvageable? Well, the sorts of things that, you know, may help things like better broadband. Uh, Of course, what also helps are things like improving infrastructure. But if the government is going to cut spending, then it typically finds it easier to cut infrastructure spending than spending on current current goods and services or on benefits. So to the extent that uh, they do try and balance the books, it could be done in a way which is adverse for growth. And all of this, of course, is having a painful impact on consumers via higher mortgage costs. Is the Bank of England factoring in housing market risks enough? Well, 
I can't say because I'm not a party to the discussions at the Bank of England, but uh, I would be very surprised if they weren't. They are very aware of housing market risks, the implications of a downward adjustment in house prices, which seems to me very likely to happen now. Um, have you got a view on what sort of downturn may happen? I mean, that is closely watched. The wealth effect um, and consumers in Britain, you know, the likelihood severity of, of a big repricing in housing stock, that's quite important given that two-year, five-year fixed mortgage rates now look to be above 6%. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think I'd rather not offer a number on that, but uh, it's easy to imagine that... Uh, a downward adjustment could be fairly substantial, more than just a matter of, say, 5%. So what do you make of Martin Wheel, Professor of Economics at King's Business School? He really didn't pull any punches there, uh, talking about Kwarteng and, and Trust perhaps shedding a few tears behind closed doors uh, after the budget. You know, that that, there's, that it lacks credibility. Uh, also, that the Bank of England will be focused on what pension funds are going to be doing over the next few days, early next week, in case they need extra help. I think Martin Will was, was very, very interesting. And I think you have to say extremely critical of what the government's doing economically. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. For those of our listeners who wondered how all this trouble on the markets is going to seep into the rest of the economy, this next interview is for you. UK estate agents are getting increasingly gloomy about house prices. 
And those house prices are being driven by interest rates and they are going up. The Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors has talked to estate agents and they now reckon that prices will drop 18% next year. That's their survey data. Lizzie Burden and I were speaking to the chief economist, Simon Rubinson, about why the market is in trouble or on the brink of a lot of trouble. The, the, the key issue at this stage is what's happening in terms of money markets, the guilt market and how that's translating over to the sort of mortgage products that are available um, and um, actually the number of mortgage products available. There is obviously a little bit more caution from buyers just because of some of the news flow. But the real issue is finance at this point, because the employment picture, and we saw the jobs data earlier this week, is still pretty decent. So it's really a, a finance issue and a confidence issue. How universal is this across the UK? Is this an issue in all parts of the market, prime and otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, there are different dynamics as, you know, as that affect prime. And you might say that a week of sterling is, you know, for some overseas buyers might actually be an attraction. But, you know, the, 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 when you see this sort of, um, um, a turmoil, it does have a, a fairly broad-based impact in terms of um, you know, the way that people are, are, are viewing the market. That said, you know, and I, I think it's important to bear in mind, you know, if you, you know, the, the actual headline price balance is still um, in positive territory. Mm. And although activity numbers are slipping, they're slipping from, you know, what were relatively strong figures on the back of, you know, that extraordinary period of low interest rates and indeed obviously the tax incentives provided by the stamp duty break that uh, the previous one, not the current one, of course. Okay, Simon, let's look at the bigger picture, though. How big of a crisis is this going to be for um, for the housing market? I mean, on, we've had a 13-year bull run. We know that fixed rate mortgages for two and five-year mortgages have now shot up above 6%, but we've got full employment at the same time. What's your expectation around how big you know, a property price decline we could see in the coming, well, months, if not a year, let's say? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, the, the way that this tends to, to manifest itself is you see a fall off in activity first. So my, my concern, and I think that's the real issue for so many people, is that, you know, they want to move, but whether they, they're, they're scared or whether there's, a you know, no, no seller at the other end, the chains are breaking down, but you actually have a, a real significant drop in, act, in the volume of activity. I think that looks very likely against the background of what we're seeing in the interest rate market. How that plays out in terms of pricing will depend partly on what happens in terms of the broader macro situation and unemployment. Unemployment, as you said, remains extraordinarily low at the moment. It's likely to rise. But is it going to rise to an extent where we start to see distressed selling emerge? I'm not sure we're going to see that on a wholesale basis. I think we'll see arrears go up. We will see a bit more possession activity. But mortgage lenders don't want to do that. Um, and they will want to work with um, homeowners, those homeowners who have mm. mortgages, to try and keep them in their homes. And you know that only te- that relationship only tends to break down if you see a very sharp rise in unemployment. So that's going to be the pivotal moment in terms, or the pivotal issue in terms of whether or not we see the distress sales that lead to a material decline in house prices. 
Okay, that that's interesting. Yes, we've got quite a few, you know, steps, and we maybe just at the beginning. We don't know yet. Um, look, Knight Frank, um, their head of UK residential research, talking about a five percent fall in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. I've heard, you know, estimates going up to sort of fifteen percent. How would you put it into context? Um, you know, in the next year, in terms of you know what, what the dangers are. Well, look, our net balance reading of, of, of as you said, sort of, a, a, sort of our net balance reading of for pricing 12 months out is now in negative territory. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the sort of assessment put forward by Knight Frank and indeed others. But again, let's put that in the context of the sort of 25% rise in prices we've seen over the last couple of years, the period of the pandemic. So um, what I think the real challenge in a housing market is where you get disorderly movements in prices, some sort of pullback a modest decline in prices on the back of the very sharp rises we've seen um, to date um, is not necessarily a problem i think a lot of remember the lending the behavior of lenders during this cycle this whole market cycle you said 13 years has been much more cautious the high ltv um, lending that was so that so characterized the run up to the global financial crisis hasn't been replicated this time round so really? we are looking you don't think so the high loan to value ratio hmm. you've certainly seen you know what you have seen a lot more pressure on um, potential bias to find big deposits one way or another, hence the, the, all that discussion, not so much today that we hear, but the uh, the idea of the bank of mum and dad has been a, a big feature of this cycle. The previous cycle was very different. So I'm not saying there hasn't been some aggressive lending. I'm not saying there aren't any, you know, the, you know if you look at the, the, the number of more, you know, the share of mortgages um, where the LTV is above 90%, there is, you know, it is sort of three to 4%, but it's well down on the eight to 9% that, that was visible before the, the, the GFC. So we are looking at a very different environment. Well, you'd think the Bank of Mum and Dad was well stocked after all that saving during the pandemic. Simon, I want to ask you about the rental market because this is really where people are feeling the pinch in the cost of living crisis. How does all this translate there? Look, I'm very concerned about the rental market. I'm concerned because we, you know, our numbers were picking up a, a, a huge chasm between demand and supply even before the, the current turmoil in the sales market. But the current turmoil in the sales market is likely to force more potential buyers to look to the rental market. I'm not sure it's going to lead to any greater supply in the rental market. So I think the imbalance that we've got there at the present time is likely to be exacerbated. And the real issue there, and we've seen what's going on in Scotland around uh, rent capping, the real issue is that, you know, buy to let investors and the built to rent market, although that's still a very tiny portion of that market, are being asked to do too much. They're being asked to, to, to capture, to look after a huge swathe of potential renters from those who are really at the sort of the, perhaps the, the, the lower end in terms of their income paying ability uh, or rent paying ability to those who are sort of very much in the in the middle group and you know i think the the absence of government in terms of building affordable homes here has you know has been critical so you know, you know there's a real issue in the rental market and 
um, against the background of this affordability crisis, it doesn't feel like it's going to get any easier for many uh, renters um, over the next six to 12 months. So that was Simon Rubinson, chief economist of RICS there. Well, with markets pricing in a mega interest rate hike by the Bank of England in November on the 3rd, mortgage rates are only set to rise. I think you've got a real flavour from Simon there, from RICS, about how we're on the cusp of issues, you know, that the feed through takes time. Yeah, I was just discussing this with a friend uh, last night who's uh, getting his remortgage done. Of course, it is a really troubling time if you're uh, trying to secure a new mortgage. And interesting to think about house prices, if you look around the world, many places are already seeing quite sizable declines. Speaking to a colleague who's Canadian, Toronto has already seen declines of more than 20% in their market. So interesting to think what comes uh, here Uh, next year. Now let's look ahead to the Chancellor's second attempt at his fiscal statement, his mini budget number two on October the 31st, or what producer James has called the path to Halloween. Frankly, it's looking pretty scary. The first road bump comes tomorrow when the Bank of England ends its emergency support for the UK gilt market. But once that is out of the way, and I think we just don't know exactly how the bond market will take that, then attention will come back to the Chancellor's other options, Ewan. Yeah, I mean, really, there are only three uh, ways that the government can get out of this. Uh, it has to be either through cutting spending, uh, uh, raising taxes or not cutting taxes, or borrowing. And I think all of those are fraught with difficulty. There, there are political problems with you turning over the tax cut plan, because after all, Liz Truss, the main thing she promised over the summer to Tory party members was to slash taxes. So if you're going to drop that, you wonder, you know, what is the government's agenda? She was asked by Keir Starmer at PMQs yesterday if uh, she would cut public spending, and she said absolutely not. Although I do think there's a bit of wiggle room on that because I, I do think she, you? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of people have interpreted it as boxing herself in. Yeah, well, I, th- I think she's left herself. She did then go on to talk, and if you listen a little bit later on, she talked about um, how public spending has risen over the last 10 years. And public spending tends, tends to rise even in periods of austerity. So you can cut certain budgets whilst not cover- cutting the kind of overall envelope of public spending. And I wonder if that's what she was hinting at. So perhaps... I, oh, that, if- I do like that. I love the fact that you've gone deep geek to find <laughs> what is the wiggle room for the... But that is the game, isn't it? It's that you can say one thing and mean something really quite subtly different. Uh, so I, I like that. But look, I think the other issue is Mel Stride. You know, yes, we know that he's he was a Sunak supporter, but he's still hugely influential in the party. Um, he's a Conservative chair of the Treasury Select Committee, and he has really been quite blunt in the TV and radio um, interviews that he's done and tweeting saying that whether any plan that does not now include at least some element of further rowback for that read U-turn on the tax package and whether that can actually satisfy the markets, he says that is the big question. Yeah, I mean, surely there must be some rowback on 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 taxes. I just can't see how there can be any other way. Uh, you know, sure yeah. they can they can cut some public spending, but without uh, uh, massive cuts of public spending, which are clearly not going to come, mm. and without changing some of the tax plans, then we need loads of borrowing, and we know that the market's not going to stomach that. Yeah. So well, I just don't see what what else is left really. Well, we shall see, and we'll continue <laughs> to follow it for you. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.